Welcome back to Creative Covenants Marketing for Cybersecurity. In this episode, we're joined by Leila Tensfall and Abby Mohammed from Tech Nation, which is a cybersecurity tech incubator. And they're going to talk to us about why dumbing down makes you smarter. And what we mean by that is that if you're a cybersecurity company and you're trying to explain your offering, how do you simplify it and make it more approachable for someone who might buy you, but may not have the right knowledge to understand the space you inhabit? We're also going to talk about identifying and targeting your ideal buyer. Everyone says the CISO is their target, uh, but for startups, often when you're starting out, you're starting further down, and that's okay. But how do you get under the skin of your buyer, whether that's finance, HR, the site manager, or someone else? We're also going to explore the importance of reinforcing your employee brand, the case against FUD, and also provide some practical, tried and tested tips for marketing a startup, especially if you're wearing multiple hats. We're going to play a game. We are going to, I'm going to be tested. Abby and Layla are going to test me uh, using descriptions of companies that I don't know. And I have to identify what sector they're from. And we're doing this because we feel like so many of these sort of technological companies become too generic in their descriptions. And therefore, it is really hard to discern what it is they actually offer. And so what we're going to be exploring on this podcast today is how to craft messaging that is very simple, but very effective, kind of gets down to the core of what benefit you actually offer customers. Um, we'll get into that later for now. I'm about to be quizzed. So I'm a bit nervous, but go for it. <laughs> No, right. what we need to do, Gail, um, Layla's going to read the description is just to answer what, what sector it is. So it's either AI, fintech, cyber, or it could be something else. Something else. Okay, fine. I can do that. Okay. Great. And obviously, just to just to kind of let you know, since it's cyber focused on this podcast, is we see this. What What is kind of unique from our point of view is we see this from the inside out. Um, and we see kind of how, um, basically, we see it from uh, AI companies, we see it from fintech companies, and we see it from cyber companies. It's not just a, a kind of a cyber deal. It's throughout the, I think, tech sectors in general. But yeah, let's just get started. So this is the first one. This company has built their business through a deep understanding of string technology, compliance slash regulation, and how it interacts with the industry. By harnessing the powers of new and emerging technologies of AI, ML, deep learning, and blockchain into the hands of their frontline team. What do you think? So they mentioned AI in the description, but I think I'm going to go with fintech. This company's product enables individuals and large organizations to make transactions safely, securely, and without friction. With their cloud infrastructure, they provide a one-stop shop solution by letting customers integrate their existing existing system systems with theirs. Okay, I'm gonna go fintech again. Sounds so, like financial systems, fintechs. This is gonna be so embarrassing when you reveal the answers. Okay. They're actually both cybersecurity companies. They are both cybersecurity companies. Yep. Okay, both, yeah. Because it's talking so heavily about processes, you know, and you think of a fintech and you think about a process that has to be kind of, you know, made better so that the organization as a whole runs better. But they're both cyber. They are both cyber companies. Um, and uh, yeah, so when you get when you get obviously when you get descriptions like this through and you process them and when you compare them to other sectors, uh, you're kind of sometimes taken a bit aback by the fact that. Um, they, they sound like something completely different, um, and especially if you take the name of them out of the um, out of the equation, um, they can sometimes really blur into each other. Definitely, especially when you throw in, I guess, the the quote unquote buzzwords. So the one that said, "Oh, we we use AI, machine learning," which again is almost uh, I, forget, I forget what the word is, but it's like it's you know 
two synonyms basically because you know machine learning is part of AI and you know part of the process of AI so it's almost like those are the things that make it really difficult don't they because you're not actually describing what you're actually doing yeah. Well, you're describing what you're using um, to, to kind of um, to fuel your product, um, which is um, a really weird thing because I don't I don't think that I don't know if there's any other industry that does that as heavily as the tech industry does, and mm. um, describing sort of what you actually what you actually use to build your product and how it's made and how it's built up, and. Mm. Um, really the focus when when selling anything else but it does seem to be um it does seem to be a lot of that there does seem to be a lot of that in tech yeah 100 percent. so if you're going to not do what these examples have shown us which is that it is so it is so common for companies to uh, maybe in some ways try and do too much at once you know try and get into the technical aspects and in doing so, not even really describe what it does, how it benefits the actual customer. Um, and that, you know, in my experience is what is what helps people, it helps penetrate people's consciousness. Like, oh, this is how it makes my life better. Um, so since you guys have so much experience in helping, you know, startups in general, but on a marketing side, kind of helping them to to sort of get down to that kind of, you know, core of what they do um how what are the steps you would say they have to go through to make their product more approachable like how do we how do we not end up with this the examples you just gave so i guess um one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about was the idea of uh who you're selling to because you know we're a you know a brand storytelling agency so therefore every time we craft a narrative around you know whether it's a product or a service or a consultancy it's very much the customer who's our protagonist, um, and that requires understanding who your customer is. And so in cybersecurity, it's so easy to assume it's the CISO, but not everywhere has a CISO. So um, so how have you guys, what's been your experience of sort of like breaking that down and kind of looking more broadly at who one sells to when you're looking at, you know, selling your product into a company? So um, the one thing I'd say on that, uh, which is, um, which is my kind of personal observation. Um, and just to let, let you know now, um, I'm not from technical background. Um, I'm from a journalist background. Um, and there seems to be kind of a bit of a, a, a trend or a, a thing going specifically, uh, maybe a little bit in the cybersecurity sector, um, where you try and outsmart um, your, your competition. And not in a not in a sort of clever, sort of very targeted marketing way, but you you want to sound smart, smarter, and you want to your product to to look smarter. And and again, what you said, what this does is alienates a lot of potential customers. Mm. So to touch on like the first thing um, that you said in regards to uh, assuming that your main customer is going to be the company's CISO. That isn't always the case. Um, a number of people uh, can get involved when they're buying your product. Uh, for example, specifically, you know, if if um, their employees are using using this, HR may get involved, uh, or maybe someone who works in uh, finance will get involved because they have to sign up quite a large uh, sum sum of money. And and another thing um, that is quite important is that. Uh, if you're selling to, for example, customers who also have different investors, if you have an easier explanation to what your product does or what benefit it gives, it actually defends your choice um, of how to spend your money um, in, in certain ways and in certain uh, places that could really be um, beneficial for your customers and for yourself. So by kind of simplifying the product and by using, without, for lack of a better term, by actually kind of dumbing it down a little bit, you're doing yourself a lot more favors than to make it sound really kind of out of this world and like nothing the world has ever seen before. Because um, everyone wants to be revolutionizing, like everyone wants to create a, a revolutionizing product, but um, sometimes you, your customers just need to know exactly what it's gonna do for you. 
Um, so what I would say, and this is something that isn't really coming from me, it's come from several speakers that uh, we've had in, in uh, growth sessions, it's create an analogy. Um, basically, take your product and say, what does it do? What can we compare it to where people feel they can relate to it and they understand it? Like, is there is something we can use to actually explain the function of it? Um, for example, I remember there was one, uh, one company on our cohort that said their product was like an ink bomb for data. And, and that kind of simplifies it. It's like, oh, okay, so anyone who kind of tries to break in or touches it or, or anything like that, it will leave a trace. Um, and, and I thought that was kind of a, a really good first sentence they, they had and pushed in all their marketing. Um, can you remember which company that was, Abby? I can't remember the top of my head. Um, no, sorry. <laughs> I think it was X8, the company was called. Um, and I just, yeah, I think it was X8, uh, but I'll double check that for later. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really cool way of getting to people to also, like also feel closer to your product and like they understand it and like they can sort of deal with it and, and uh, it's something they can use in, in everyday life. Yes, and it's, um, I love that example because it takes it out of, a, out of cyber dialogue. Um, out of the cyber vocabulary to describe it and, and puts it into something, you know, completely unrelated, um, not completely unrelated, but, you know, it sort of conjures a different image. Um, and I think that is what also helps something stick in people's mind. And it's, it's such a challenge, isn't it, um, to create those associations, but that's sort of, that's sort of a process that a company needs to go through, isn't it? Definitely. And I think that there's a lot of work uh, involved in that. Um, because if <laughs> one thing is for sure, for example, your employees may have a completely different um, view of, of your product than what you do. Um, and that's actually a really interesting, interesting exercise to do. Um, what, I, what I can briefly remember doing at previous places um, that I've worked at is basically setting up a cross-functional team uh, of all sorts of people from marketing, from dev, from HR people, and getting them in the team, uh, go through the website and highlight anything, any word that's used that you don't understand or you don't sort of directly get the meaning of, that's an abbreviation that you have to look up, anything where you stop and think like, mm, that's a bit of a weird, uh, that's a bit of a weird word or I have to Google that or something like that, highlight it and count how many times that group actually stops. And then you'll actually get a really kind of cool view of how you can improve your website just by using uh, your employees. Yes, and you mentioned people sort of, um, or sort of having knowledge of the problem space they inhabit. And that's always a tricky one because quite often the reason there's this problem space is because you know it hasn't been tackled before or it hasn't been tackled well so quite often you're having to kind of create you know the language around the problem um and in doing that um you know i used to work for a cybersecurity company that you know was trying to to sell kind of like a managed service and it sort of had you know kind of it was almost like stock photography it was almost like here's how we describe the problem that leads to people needing our product or needing our service um and everything you just said sort of makes me think that, you know, especially if you're a startup and you're trying to address something new, you really do need to go for those cultural associations or sort of that kind of shakeup of, of language where you're not describing it in a technical way. You're describing it kind of in a, I don't know, in kind of like a high level, here's the, here's the problem in the ether that, you know, we're bringing down to earth. Definitely, yeah. Um, and I think it, it is really interesting how that can, not only can it make customers understand your product better, it can also make your employees feel, um, in, in all departments, um, kind of feel closer to your brand as well. Um, one thing I would say is for high-tech description, like for description that use a lot of jargon and a lot of um, basically you know, high-tech words, if you want to say that, mm -hmm. um, there is a place for them. 
like put a lot of it in maybe in your employer brand for specific, especially when calling out for um, for hiring specific people. Uh, that stuff will appeal to people who basically sit and develop cybersecurity products. Um, but perhaps not so much when you're hiring, for example, um, for example, an HR expert or or you know someone someone in marketing or a content person. Um, so there is definitely room for that, um, but just at the, the right place at the right time, I think. It's interesting because we work with early stage founders and especially in that time, people are very interested in then how do they make the most with the smallest capital. Mm. So if there's one advice I was going to give founders is a yes use imagery but even lower than that when you are like trying to paint a story um try to go as deep as creating like personas so from a end user perspective I can relate to the personas myself so make the character you can say it like just like one thing out of air so I'm going to use me so Abby um works in the HR and her main responsibilities is to ensure that emails are correctly added and like you know she's emailing loads of people but then the biggest risk for our company right now might be phishing again the term phishing is not known unless you know what phishing is so putting in a situation where she gets a bad email uh, our product basically stops that email happening so basically create the storyline where the end user feels like oh my god I am Abby I'm having that problem mm-hmm. and having that literally at the forefront I feel like um, most of these cybersecurity, and I I I will admit yeah again I'm from a uh, engineering background so I used to be a software engineer and when we talk high level buzzwords again it's to a make us sound smart and try to compete with each other but the second is that yeah, it's just a kind of second nature and we assume the other person is technical um, so we just need to remind if you are the technical person and you're trying to write the story remember the end user might not be as technical as you so you have to again dumb it down talk to me like a five-year-old per se definitely and um I feel like we have to bring up FUD at this point so fear uncertainty and doubt which especially in cyber where there is quite often an you know an attacker you know you're you are someone's fishing you because they have you know not very nice motivations for how they're gonna you know compromise you in some way or take something from you um but the fear, uncertainty, and doubt plug is very off-putting, you know, or it, you know, it, it doesn't appeal to the, you know, to the nice side of people's personalities or to one that gives them any comfort that you're, you know, helping in a in a positive way. So, I'm sure you've had many startups in your time who have tried to sort of use FUD to try and be like, but they have to buy us, otherwise, otherwise they're they're in trouble, um, you know. So how do you? you know, make the arguments that that FUD actually isn't the most productive plug to make? So this is a tricky one because I think using kind of fear element comes from a place of people being really passionate about what they do. I think it only comes from like, this is so important and we need to, we need to fight this. And um, I think a lot of people who work in cybersecurity um, see the wider picture of how much more important the internet um, is now and is going to become in the future. So it, it is a little bit heartbreaking sometimes to say that you can't like you can't use this word or you can't use that word um, because th- they do care on a on a deeper level um, and it, they do I think particularly care about um, about their customers and, and then safe, staying safe online too. I think one of the things that I would I compare it to is would you buy a car if in the advert you saw the car crashed at the end of the the end of the ad it is kind of the same thing it is it is a a bit like saying for example you know this won't happen if you buy our product fair enough but you've given someone a really negative um kind of connotation to it and now whenever they think of it they're going to have that sort of horrible horrible feeling in in their stomach 
Um, what I'd say instead is focus more on um, basically how your product will save them money, how your product can also save them time, um, and also just focus more on using the word um, safety, not just for not just for initially like the the main people you're selling to, but for the wider business as well. So kind of drawing in um, drawing in things where you basically focus more on the positives that your um, your product can bring. Um, definitely, yeah, that's that's really important. Um, but again, yeah, it's a tricky. It is a tricky kind of um, balancing act because at the end of the day, people need to know that you know there are there are scary things out there, and it can happen to anyone, and attacks you know can happen at any point. Um, so so yeah, I think I think I'd go for like an eighty twenty approach. Um, you know, you can inform people um, 20% of the time about the scary things, but then 80% of the time focus more on benefits and focus more on um, how this will change, how this will change their day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, go on, Abby. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was going to say, like, I would agree, like, the 80-20 rule should apply when you're doing... Um, when you're trying to tell the story especially if it has element of scary it's like you have to remember when you are mentioning scary things automatically as human beings we automatically uh, connect scary as complicated and if you do that people are going to be like well I'm too scared because you've now made this complex um, like scenario where I feel like I don't want to be part of it and the important thing is if we if you don't do it, especially from an early stage, and you don't make that messaging right with the 8020 where you're showing all your safety, as Leila mentioned, the car scenario, uh, make the car safe, it has a seatbelt, um, that kind of that kind of story would actually be with you for life, which would be really, really hard to shake off. You know, you've seen those examples as soon as a company is attached to a certain word that's it that's all they're known for um and it's hard to you know shake that off so really be careful about wording and how you portray your story especially when you're at an early stage and you're about a scale because that storyline is going to be with you for life and i think this could be where startups need to consider their brand sooner than later isn't it because exactly. sort of need to know where you stand or sort of you know what your message is but also you know kind of the tone in which it's delivered and you know you mentioned um you know if you had a car crash at the end and that's such a powerful image actually like it's the kind of thing that gets brands in proper trouble when they are you know disparaging of other people who might have safer cars so at least the car analogy here or you know if the car crashes and they say well our car would never crash because of x i mean you kind of have to know how you respond to those things don't you otherwise you are in danger of having this kind of slippery slope um, and you keep mentioning employees, Layla, as well, like, you know, the, like all your employees have to be on board with kind of every aspect of your brand, don't they? So that they are also kind of ambassadors for, for your message. Yeah, definitely. And, um, and I do think that your employer brand is something that is it's so easy to focus on. I think easy, very easy to focus on the one type of employee that, uh, whoever does the hiring or the you know the the main decision making feels the most connected to um which you know in a, in a tech startup normally the the founder would be from a the founder or or the people you know doing making the main decisions on who gets hired or not um would be from a technical background so kind of and and, and that's that's something that's probably super easy to do um and forgetting that people overall working um for you need to really understand and relate to what you do um and also you know be proud of it uh, especially people who you know do your sales and who do your um social media and the wider marketing and content team um so that's another thing to kind of align the visions and align the understanding uh, as well and you do that really well by I really like what Abby said of like creating personas. 
um, that that is another thing that is a fantastic approach um, and definitely would recommend everyone to do yeah I was gonna also add yeah you can also we were speaking about this before Leila the whole idea of the the, the scary element it comes with color as well yeah yeah um this is actually really funny we we kind of look through a lot of different cyber logos and there's a lot of red there is a lot of sort of uh, uh basically red flashy kind of in your face uh colors um, and another thing is like looking at how colors actually affect inside people's psychology you know red is alert danger um and if you if you use that in all your marketing and your logo and your branding and that actually really affects people more than what you would think um so that's something to think about too and and another thing to touch on uh you said that startups had to be uh, kind of aware of their uh their brand from the very start and I think also as well, be aware of it from the start, but don't necessarily look at it look at it as something static. Your brand can evolve with your company, um, and I think that it's hard to kind of leave behind something you invested in. But if you identify something that doesn't work, or something that puts people off, or something that can um, potentially hinder you from from like getting your message out there put it behind you and, and move on and say okay the brand needs a bit of a switch up we need to change these things how do we do it so that's another thing uh, to kind of be flexible and, and dynamic on and, and view that as a part of your journey too yeah that's such great advice and um, especially on the color thing as well um, I was part of a cybersecurity rebrand and you know, um, the people involved, you know, gave the designer, the design house, you know, all of our competitors and they made a color grid and they said, okay, here are the colors that you're competing against, uh, you know, and, and, and choosing your new ones or trying to work out which, which colors sort of best suit you going forward. And you're right. There was so much red, there was so much blue, but not even like nice blues, kind of just, I don't know how to describe them. Not quite sapphire blues. Those are quite nice, but just like a very bright, kind of like in your face blue um, with like smatterings of green. But you're right about the red thing as well. I mean, people want to, are trying, I guess, trying to create this urgency um, around what they're doing. So red, I guess, is a way to sort of, is, is what people assume is going to kind of draw the eye and be like, oh, they're, we're, we're in trouble and they're going to help. But then I suppose if you, you need to think of, I, I think I, the point I'm trying to make is how you think holistically about your, your brand as well and your, you know, the color scheme and such, because you think about how much red there is in the consumer space as well. Um, you know, even beyond cybersecurity, you know, Netflix, Coca-Cola, Virgin. I mean, this is a color that is, you know, so used. Um, you know, this is a, this is the chance to sort of penetrate people's consciousness with something different, I would say. Yeah, definitely. I was gonna ask, um, of all the things we mentioned, of all the sort of tendencies that people have um, that they don't, where they don't quite get it right. Um, and it's not to criticize, we're going to put this out there. We're not criticizing anybody. This is very much a journey. Like this is really hard stuff to get right. So one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to sort of give our pointers onto how you can kind of break all this down. Um, but Abby and Layla, so do, do you have examples of what good looks like? So of all that we've listed um, of the, the do's and don'ts, do you have any descriptions of companies that you think actually that's that's got it right. That's that's explaining exactly what you do in accessible terms to the right audience. And one one I had in mind that just jumps to my mind every single time I, I get asked this question is a company called Redshift, and um, that were on the cohort um, last not not the current one but last year's cohort. Um, and immediately when you when you go on their website, it's really well designed um, and also as well it's uh, the first mess I can't read it off right now what will remember exactly what it said um, but it basically in two sentences tells you what the product does um, and, and a little bit about how it works as well um, and then you scroll further down there's a call to action uh, pointing them to to say, uh, or pointing customers basically to go to um, a contact us page where they can set up a call with the salesperson and something like that. 
it looks very friendly. It looks uh, really well put together, um, and not a single time is is. I think I think maybe it says attack once just to describe exactly what the product does. Um, but there's not a lot of sort of fear in there, um, and it's it's just a really well put together um, and well made brand, I would say. So those are the first that come to my mind. Yeah, yeah, from like a kind of like. So when I used to build um, software and stuff like that, and really thinking about the end user, like I'm on their website right now, it's very clean, as Layla mentioned, calls of actions. I really like the whole, they're already putting people there. So little things like that. So having it so simple. And then one thing, especially yeah, if you're going to have like a landing page, is like from a user experience, can I get to your product in less than three clicks? If it's too complicated, then that is a complete turn off, especially when you land on the website of a customer, you have like an impression of like, like less than 50 seconds of like deciding yes or no because of the human psychology and stuff so it's like you need to always think about when you are portraying your business as a user would I jump on the website and go oh no and leave or am I able to stand skim through and then get to whatever I need to do in less than three clicks that is so true I remember us speaking about this Abby we we did, for example, see some um, some websites where we went, where we've gone on. Uh, I've seen seen examples of them um, where they're trying to sell a product, but there's no there's no actual buy now or contact us um, call to action or buttons or forms or anything like that to to generate leads uh, on the on the front page. So it's really important that no matter what you do, just think you're spoon feeding customers. They always, within within one second, they should be able to find your product and find a way to it. Um, so that's something to keep in mind from a, from a pure sort of website perspective too. Yeah, and then there's also one thing that I really wanna mention, yeah, which most cybersecurity actually do. So cybersecurity companies are very like mysterious. You don't know who's behind the screen. The ones that really work well and the ones that if you want, especially when you want to build trust with customers, the about page is like the make and break. If, am I able to pinpoint here, yeah, who am I talking to? Who is actually creating? Can I get to know them like face-wise, their name, what their role is? So as a customer, especially now in this generation, we're very like at the stage where we internet stalk people and that's how we build trust without meeting you. Before I meet you, like for example, a job a job interview, I'm already stalking the company, I'm stalking who owns the company. So like, I already know kind of like who you are. So your story is so crucial on that side as well. Um, it's basically to say that if any of your marketing sounds like a sentence to describe um, like an alien movie or something like that, drop it. Because a lot <laughs> of, a lot of uh, companies that have like the word attack just peppered through uh, their marketing. And also extracting is another one that cybersecurity love to use, especially if they use machine learning. Um, they they say we extract like human intelligence and I'm like wait I don't want anyone to extract my intelligence <laughs> you know so um I would say in regards to that just do the alien movie test if any of the words you use could be used to describe anything like that just leave them out um so yeah let me think of the sort of the more generic one that I had to um but I think that's it for now do you, can you think of anything Abby yeah so like the biggest test that we used to use was um, when you were checking something, if it makes sense for the end user, um, because you've been seeing it and your team knows it and they already bought into it, test that one liner with someone that is not in your company. So I'm sure you have friends or anything like that and ask them like, this is my one liner, how do you feel? And I feel like that's the best use of research you could do um because at the end of the day sometimes people forget that their product because they're so passionate about it 
you, the end use is not you. <laughs> so it's all the, the element, as Leila mentioned, as I think the golden takeaway from this is the 80-20. Can 80% understand what you're saying? Now we're going to focus on kind of tangible advice for startups when they are at the point where they want to bring their product, service, company in general to market. Um, and that's a big step because it's got, it's, it, it marks the point where you've gone from the great idea you had, you know, in where, wherever you were, the coffee shop, talking to friends, uh, and you've spent some time kind of bootstrapping and doing things, you know, on the side, or maybe you've, you've put, you're putting your own money into being able to achieve this, but now you're sort of trying to put it out into the big wide world. So um, this sec section is all about providing kind of context for startups to kind of understand the general market. Not that, you you know, people don't, people quite often understand their market quite well, but there is a, a very big cybersecurity landscape that it's very, very helpful to understand kind of, you know, where your space on the bookshelf is. Um, and then, you know, based on what your goals are, you know, how do you craft messaging that attracts investors? How do you attract, um, you know, employees? How do you, you know, attract customers? So, and sort of understanding that those are very, those can be very distinct things, or sometimes they are not. Um, so let's start with um, Abby and Layla. So as, you know, Tech Nation, you guys sort of have the most amazing window into what's coming next, kind of what is considered to be, you know, the next, not that I don't say the next big things in cybersecurity, but, you know, where is this, where is this industry going? Um, as we all know, it's huge. Um, it gets bigger and bigger. The need for it is not going away anytime soon. Um, so as a startup going in, on the one hand, it's very exciting. On the other hand, it has to be a little bit on the intimidating side because there are many out there like you with equally good ideas. So um, based on kind of, I think let's we'll talk briefly about the past, but the past is almost irrelevant in cybersecurity, isn't it? It's really about what's next. Um, so uh, if you could give us kind of the, the 101 on where we are, where is cybersecurity now? Where is it going? So it's interesting. So cybersecurity itself is now becoming more mainstream. And again, right now, like, for example, if I look in my cohort, I'm like looking through, there's mainly like a lot of trends to do with like government, like, you know, helping them to be more uh, secured because of the cloud base, as you know, especially because of COVID. A lot of uh, technology needs to be cloud-based because everyone's working remotely. So having that security, there's a lot of like training awareness trend happening because with cybersecurity, it's not an easy thing. And especially when you're adopting it from a um, company side, you need a lot of training. So there's loads of like emerging um, companies that are in that space, which is like quite cool. Um, that helps companies, you know, be aware of what's like, how to adopt technology as easy as possible. Like one of our cohort, Bob the business does this really well. Like people, um, they literally help people understand technology and then how to, you know, uh, avoid cybersecurity attacks by like, you know, going in and teaching them and then also teaching it from the C-suites all the way down. Um, again, the typical one data privacy um but then it's interesting because right now we get to a point where cybersecurity doesn't need to be just cybersecurity i feel like most cybersecurity can now fit into different areas so like excite is a great example um is cybersecurity but also because it's of uh, the financial markets they kind of also sit on the fintech side so it's interesting, cybersecurity itself, The I feel like the trend in the future, most people are gonna move away from it because we don't know exactly what this is. It depends on what the end user is, the market is trying to penetrate. And yeah, how about you, Leila, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think that this is more one, one for you, Abby, but I, I do wanna kind of uh, touch on what you said on training and awareness. Um, or tra like training and awareness companies becoming like a part of the large overall larger trends. 
Um, training and awareness companies seem to be really great at structuring their um, their messages to the users because they have to explain to people constantly um, who are non-technical what basically to do and not to do in regards to, to a cybersecurity perspective. So for anyone who wants any, basically who wants any inspiration on how to deliver really good messaging, um, definitely check if there's any sort of training and awareness companies in your in your space or, or that you know of um, and check how they choose to position themselves and the language that they choose to, to use and kind of apply that in your own way to your own brand. Um, because some of the, some of the sort of, how should I say, the most, uh, the best descriptions and the best kind of websites come from, um, come from training, training and awareness companies specifically. Um, so that's just one thing I kind of, I feel is really interesting uh, to add on that. Yeah. Hundred percent, and like you know, so training awareness, I think it's important because we're moving towards more a technical world. Everyone's on the computer, so everyone needs to be trained. Um, again, also anything to do with that cloud base, um, because we're moving to a virtual. Like I feel like after COVID, people have the opportunity to, to either be at home or work from a, a, a different location. I think there's also emerging trend of like this whole idea of like a nomad, so you can work anywhere. So any companies in that space, um, that should, that's an interesting market. Um, but yeah. Of your current cohort, um, you know, what gets you most excited, if you see what I mean? I don't want you to pick favorites or anything or alienate anybody, but you know, what has sort of arrived um, on your desk that you've gone, oh, I hadn't thought of that, or wow, I didn't know we needed that, but of course we do. Or is there, or do, 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 are you not comfortable kind of categorizing it that way yet? I I like all of them, so I don't have a favorite. Um, Leila has been working on um, the cyber lookbooks. I don't know if you have any other particular areas than training awareness because we can group people the group sectors and we have a sector where they're not fitting in the category as well yeah i mean i think if i'm honest like again i i love them all equally obviously um but there are a few that kind of stand out that are quite unique in regards to what they do um and one of them um, that I quite like is Snapdragon. Um, Snapdragon basically operates in in fashion, well, not particularly in fashion, but specifically in online merchandise, and they identify fakes online. Um, and obviously, I don't know, I don't know about the rest of you, but I had some, uh, I had an awful lot of quarantine purchases, um, you know, in in March and April. So that's quite an interesting one in regards to like everyone's going to become kind of more um, dependent on online shopping. Um, and when you see what's happening, you know, to, to the high street and to stores chains that have been around in the UK for ages um, after, after COVID, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how cybersecurity moves into, into that space as well. Um, and going from, kind of the human, um, relying on human knowledge um, rather than actual sort of um, basically computers to do it. Um, so I'm excited about seeing what will come of that. Um, and of course, there's also uh, PPC Protect. Um, PPC Protect are brilliant at what they do. And I also really like their marketing and messaging and, and stuff like that. Um, basically, they, they prevent ad fraud. So another thing, um, now that people aren't out on the streets anymore, people aren't sort of, you know, walking around and looking at billboards and, and stuff like that or going to bus stops and seeing an ad there, um, you know, more advertising is also going to be moved online. And it's important to make sure that uh, the money that people are spending on that is going to the right place and not uh, cyber criminals. So those two are kind of, I, I'm very excited to see uh, what, what happens in both those spaces. Awesome, thank you. Um, 
So you work with, again, so many, so many startups at different stages who are, you know, need different things. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, adjusting messaging based on who you're trying, whose attention you're trying to get. So if you're trying to get investors, if you're trying to, you know, get some, get some of your, your first customers in, um, if you're trying to grow and get companies in sort of, um, and who you want to deter as well, like who do you not want coming across your doorstep, not because of a dislike or anything, just because it wastes everybody's time. So um, I, my question, I guess, is, is there a difference between, you know, to start with those three categories and how you're pitching yourself? Um, and and if there isn't, you know, what is what is the difference? So one of the things that I um, one of the things that I kind of like to see are people who invest in tracking. So when you're doing your marketing, knowing basically um, how many people um, visit your web page every day, how many people click on different things. Um, how many people basically bounce off your page right after kind of visiting it um, and why are they doing this as well? Um, taking all that data and analyzing it and seeing how can we actually improve um, or saying is this, is this page maybe serving a purpose that we didn't even know about and how can we build that out is really important. So investing in tracking and analytics and spending a lot of time on understanding the behavior of your customers um, I would say is is number one from not just from from a marketing perspective from but from an, like an entire um, company perspective um, and another thing uh, is just tailoring your content to each audience um, I have this a lot where, where people think content can be recycled almost for every purpose. Um, if it's a page for investors, throw it on. If it's PR, you know, get it, get it on there. It doesn't matter. It does so, so, so very matter. And um, so automatically kind of saying if it's going to be displayed somewhere else, just don't copy and paste it. Just make sure that you have reviewed it, read it, and actually said, this is tailored to that audience as well is, um, is quite important. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I agree, honestly, because each, each people are looking for different perspectives. So as Leila mentioned, like an investor might be looking at, you know, okay, what's the company's problem and solution, market value, um, is this scalable? That is not relevant data for someone that is going to buy your product. They wouldn't want to know, okay, what is like, how big can this be in this market? They'd be like, can this work in my company? So aligning, I would say, always think about who you're trying to give the message to and then always make sure you have separate pictures for each one. So you have a separate pitch for your customer um, again, that customer is also broken down in several things. So you need to maybe have a different messaging from like enterprise, um, corporate, even if it's like, you know, a kind of um, B2C kind of model, that kind of message is all going to be different. And then investors would have a different messaging and maybe even like a messaging internally of like how you work, all of that kind of storyline. Um, the company that does well, does this really uh, does this from the start um, companies that are not able to adapt this uh, strategy straight away into their business um, tend to um, not compete as well in the market you've both seen a lot of pitches in your time what makes for a winning if you were to give it a sort of sound bite advice or even extended advice you know, what is it that has made you go, I get it, I love it, I want it? I would say if you can literally sum your problem up in one sentence and your solution. It's interesting. So if you wanted like, so one thing that really makes me go, wow, is like, 
for example, if you met me in an elevator ride, this whole idea of elevator pitch, if you can tell me what you can do and then provide in a case study, that is the winning pitch. It's like, okay, here's a problem. This is, and then when you say the problem, yeah, illustrate the example. We worked with this company, they had A, B, C. We came in, we solved A. B was a bit difficult. We went through the journey and the C as well. And then they literally came from this this side to this side. Um, if you can illustrate that in like literally less than 30 seconds, not 30 seconds, that's being a bit cruel, um, less than five minutes, then yeah, that's always the winning pitch. What about you, Leila? What do you think? See, I wouldn't even give them five minutes. I'd give them 10 seconds. <laughs> It's like explain it in two sentences uh, to me exactly what your product does, um, and this is coming from a from a perspective where you you basically if you write about a company um, on the co or not not just on the co but any company really, mm-hmm. um, and you have all this information that you have to structure um, and tie it back to what the company actually does. Um, for me, it's it's so much easier to do when you understand from the get-go what your company what what the company actually does so so uh yeah I think I completely agree with you Abby but I'm I'm not I'm not as nice in regards to the five minutes I'll be like 15 seconds explain it um and that is it is very true though if you think if you think someone who works in uh marketing in technation has a really low uh, attention span. You should try and meet an investor. So um, that's a, that's a good point to to make. Just make sure people understand it and be brief. Yeah, I 100% agree. So I'm being kind because again, I I I love and adore my cohort, and I think it's because I feel like it's not just this core, but I think it's in general when we meet, especially cybersecurity companies. Um, understanding what they do takes a long time because again you're talking to a technical person there's a lot of jargon that's been thrown Um, look how complicated my technology is and yeah I'm saying cut that out like the technology bit is amazing but then if you can use it in showing that this infrastructure is used to solve the user problem that is a better way of like you know introducing what you're doing and getting me really engaged straight away um instead of me as Leila mentioned as soon as you do jargon like if you say that kind of words like ml ai certain people will switch off and then it could be the second sentence being amazing and it gets to the point but you already switched that human being off at the beginning (laughs) with the first sentence um yeah so storytelling is super super important It's interesting. Everything you you know we've said so far, I feel like that it's not just advice for startups. It's advice for anybody, any company, no matter what size. You know, we everyone needs to do this well and do it right. Um, but I suppose if you're a startup, you, you you get a chance to start as you mean to go on, don't you? You you know get get the get all of this right at the start, and hopefully it's you know it's a beautiful journey from there. Um, yeah, I think I think yeah, words to live by are like be brief and don't scare people. When you think about it, yes, perfect advice. Love it, <laughs> love it. Um, I was going to ask about the employer brand because um, that's clearly something that you know you guys think a lot about because um, you know clearly you know if you're having startups at a certain stage of growth, they're going to need other people in which to do it, and it's also taking them out of like the one or two or five or ten people that they've had at their core and sort of looking at what they want going forward. So I was going to ask about sort of, you know, how you talk startups through sort of defining their employer brand and how you, you, you advice you give them when they're starting that kind of recruitment journey. Before we can give advice, we need to know, understand where you are at the stage. And we just recently um, launched this like new initiative within the program called Young Leaders. So it's like making the whole uh, understanding you from a reverse so we're asking your young talent within your company to come out and you know explain how they feel 
and then from that we can understand like okay this is what we can do for you and this is how you basically um attract new talent especially in the startup scene there's a lot of um talent out there but then the pool itself is very limited because again with startup you have to think about like a sometimes you have to um give up wages like it's not as high as if you went to a corporate job sometimes and you get like equity exchange for that until the startup becomes like something successful uh and then b is like yeah how do you sell that person so the pool itself if you want the best of the best um culture in your company is super super important showcase the people who work for you with so much pride and shout about them uh talk about them in a in a human way and like really humanize that aspect of your company um and i think if you do that um talent and kind of hiring and stuff like that will become a lot easier for you um and also as well never underestimate kind of what your online reputation looks like from a from a from an employer perspective and um, you know people who work especially who work in that industry they will check glassdoor they will check company reviews they will they will check um to see what your history with employees have been what it's like so if you do have any discrepancies just make sure at least from your side that um you reply to any comments for example uh even if even if um, basically it's a disgruntled ex-employee, make sure you kind of approach it with openness and, and empathy online. Um, and then then people will actually see that you care about what people think about your company and you care about the um, employee experience. Um, so yeah, it is a tricky one to balance, um, to balance a little bit, but uh, definitely, as I mentioned before, this is a good place to maybe throw in some more of like the technical jargon and, and stuff like that, that will appeal more uh, to people who are looking for somewhere where they can, you know, come and really use their skills. Um, but then again, it heavily depends on, on the job role. Owen Collective did this really, really well. So they used this... Um... I feel like yeah, every company, and this is not just for cybersecurity focus, but blogging is a great way of like showcasing what's happening in, from the inside. So I know for a fact every time they did something uh, when they were run, by the way, yeah, they're a great team, great people, but then they blogged it. So they was transparent to a public facing. So letting people in of like, you know, your journey, what you're thinking, um, gives a great perspective of what the company is and what they stand for. That's awesome because it's such a, a simple thing we forget, just the, the power of the blog, you know, the power of a, of a few good sentences that have been spun and they kind of just give you a window into, you know, what you hopefully want to know. Um, on that, I want to sort of finish with kind of advice for marketers. And when I say marketers, it's, you know, in a startup there are so many people performing multiple roles. So I'm very aware that, you know, quite often the person charged with kind of the marketing within a startup may not have experience in that area, maybe, or maybe does have experience, but is also having to do other roles like PR and operations or what have you. So, and I'm sure, you know, in your time, you've seen people, you know, sort of managing you know, sort of kind of straddling that horse and having to manage everything. Um, in startups, you know, what would you, what, what's like the advice you would give to to someone who is charged with with marketing? I mean, I know that's that's a very broad brush, but, you know, given everything we've talked about and all the, the challenges and trying to, you know, kind of get it down to the elevator pitch or get it down to the 15 seconds that Layla would allow you to talk, um, you know, what would you... What's like the final advice you would like to give? So if if this is like a junior person listening to this, don't assume that people who are more senior than you know what they're doing marketing-wise. Um, especially in stressful situations and especially in um, you know high-pressure situations, everyone tends to become an expert marketer overnight. 
Um, and it is one of those things that people think they can do it and will jump to the conclusion that they know what's best for um, that email that's going out or uh, the website changes they want. Um, that is very rarely true unless they have a very uh, kind of rich marketing background. Um, and also, if it's a more <laughs> senior person listening, uh, just again, like don't, don't kind of override your your expertise or the expertise in your company um, because you are more senior. Um, at some stage, people are going to have to try and fail. There's a lot of trial and error in, in marketing tech and specifically cyber in general. Um, so just let their kind of instincts, uh, their knowledge, and also as well their data lead them to make the decisions they think are best. I would say yeah, try, because especially in the start, well, no one really has the right answer, honestly, to truth, um, especially with the sector is again it's not new cybersecurity itself is not new but like you know trying to use now this like kind of cross like cross sector kind of like um skills so not just being technical you have to be good at marketing and like you know you have to be good at like you know selling it's trust other people um to do the job and if they fail then it's not the end of the world because in the start world like you're meant to fail until you get to the right um golden ticket right so yeah that's my advice and also if you are technical um for me personally and I always like love Layla for this like I'm not a copyright and I'm okay of like being not good at doing like copy marketing thinking about market strategies and like you know thinking of how does that look like so being comfortable of like saying yeah you know what yeah I don't know so I'm gonna delegate this work to someone that does know uh, and being comfortable with it because otherwise uh, one thing that founders especially at this stage does they wear multiple hats but if you're going to scale you have to be really good at being like you know what yeah I can't do that so I'm going to hire someone else to do that so I can elevate so we all win together I love that thank you so much for your time today thank you it's been great having you on thanks thanks